0: Greetings, my friends. One of the things that in my study of, you know, the pursuit of greatness and fulfillment and rewards that we're all seeking in in life and in work and in leadership that really struck a deep chord with me was the kind of intersections I saw Across many of these uh, great ones, you know, great social reformers and leaders and entrepreneurs and creator, you know, creative minds, and and that common theme that I saw across all of them was the notion of how there were certain very simple habits, certain very simple disciplines that they had mastered in a way that you and I, we all get exposed to, and we think kind of like we know them. But uh, they were able to take it to a whole different place from where they were transforming the world and transforming themselves through those very simple precepts. Well, today we have with us Julian Treasure, who is an expert on one and two of these um, seemingly simple, but incredibly powerful and transformative practices. The art and science of listening and the art and science of making sound, for example, through your own voice. And it is ironic, isn't it? Because all of us feel like we know it from the moment we are born. You know, we have the ability to, to hear and to listen. And then very quickly, we develop the ability to also make sound. And yet it's not something that we are formally ever, you know, made to study and understand and maximize the potentialities of. And I think today we have such a tremendous opportunity to do that with somebody who's made it his life's work, in fact, to study and and advance these disciplines. I want to take a moment here to introduce you to who it is that uh, we are going to be in the company of. Julian Treasure is a sound and communication expert on a mission to help people and organizations listen better and create healthier and more effective sound. He has been a very active and popular speaker on TED. Five of his TED Talks have actually garnered over 100 million views. Uh, you know, one of these talks, for example, on how to speak so that people want to listen is in the top 10 TED Talks of all times. He is also an awesome thought leader with, uh, with a book on, on the business of sound and also on uh, how to be heard. You know, it's, it's such a beautiful idea and thought because, you know, so many of us, you know, all the time are striving to have the world listen to the beautiful ideas, thoughts, and aspirations that we bring. He has a bachelor's in economics from Cambridge, spent 20 years in advertising and magazine publishing, founded a sound agency, the sound agency, an audio branding company. And then more recently at Sonic, he has launched a range of biophilic soundscapes, which we are going to look forward to hearing from Julian about, to enhance well-being and productivity in workspaces. And then he's also launched a very valuable online course that kind of just encapsulates, you know, all his ideas and teachings into a practical form that you and I, and we can all consume, how to speak so that people want to listen. He's been featured in addition to Ted also in other very storied media, like you see here Time, the Oprah Magazine, BBC and beyond. And now it is my immense pleasure to welcome into our midst, Julian Treasure. Julian, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Our joy. And, and tell us where you're calling in from today.
1: I live in a place called Orkney, O-R-K-N-E-Y. If anybody wants to Google it, you can see how beautiful it is. It's, a, it's an archipelago of islands off the north coast of Scotland. So about 20 miles offshore and uh, cliffs, seabirds, wind, waves, gorgeous scenery, a lot of peace and quiet and uh, a very mild climate surprisingly. And it's a beautiful place to live.
0: Yeah, I'm just reminded of these words. I I don't know, I'm embarrassed to say who the poet is. It might be Percy Bysshe Shelley. And it's something about breaking the silence of the seas from the farthest Hebrides. And I just remember reading that in my literature class in school. And um, I don't know, where are the Hebrides? Are they somewhere in the vicinity at all?
1: Uh, not really. That's uh, off the west coast of Scotland, so they're I quite see. a long way south of us and a long way west. We're off the north coast. Yeah. Uh, you get to, If you go north of Scotland, you get to Orkney first, and then after that, you get to Shetland. And right. then uh, it's the wilds of the North Atlantic and the Faroe Islands and the Arctic. I see.
0: And Julian, we'll get into the main course of our conversation in just a moment, but... Um you know, we're living in exceptional times. Uh, how is the community around you doing at the present hour?
1: We're pretty good. We haven't had a great deal of the virus up here because we're offshore and we're kind of cut off a, a great deal of the time. So very low population density and good resources. So uh, we've been good up here and it's not a bad place to be locked down in. You know, I'm very, very grateful for the fact that we've got some open space around us. And uh, so we've we've survived pretty well uh, in terms of well-being and, uh, you know, our mental health as well. I know so many people have been challenged with that over the last nine months. And, uh, you know, it's been so tough for so many.
0: Yeah, it has. And I'm grateful to hear that you and the community there have been, you know, mostly, mostly protected at a time like this. So let's turn to the arc of your life. You know, the the discipline of listening and the discipline of sound, you know, that's not a very usual kind of experience to have as somebody, you know, that you meet on the street and you ask them, what is your profession or what do you do? And that is what they are passionate about or have invested in. Where did this spark come to you? Where, you know, At what stage in your career and life journey did you get deeply invested in, in sound and in this, this idea of the human experience of listening?
1: From a very early age, really, because I've been a musician since I was very young. And that's the start of it. I think musicians listen to the world in a slightly different way to non-musicians. If you're playing in a band or in an orchestra, you develop a kind of multi-track, very attentive listening. If you don't do that, you're not a very good player. So you need to be listening to all the other instruments or players at the same time in a very attentive and intense way. So you develop this capability. I did see some research a few years back that said that there's a part of the brain which is more developed in musicians than in non-musicians. Probably that's got a lot to do with listening in that way. And I took that with me. I was still playing. I I still do play from time to time, but uh, I took that with me all the way through my career. So I kind of had a a double life, Uh, you know, running marketing company, a big magazine publishing company that I launched and then that grew and uh, producing customer magazines for wonderful brands like Apple and Orange and so forth around the world, Lexus, and at the same time playing music and listening. So when I sold the magazine business, I wanted to do something that united the two halves of me, if you like. The listening half, which was aware that the world didn't sound very good. You know, I, I had read... The wonderful book, The Tuning of the World, Soundscape by Murray Schaefer. Um, that's a seminal piece of work. If anybody has never read it, I do recommend it. Um, Canadian uh, musicologist and sound uh, eco, eco, what are they called? I uh, can't remember what they're called now. The, it's a kind of um, sound ecology, oral, oral ecology movement. It's a brilliant book and it's about the way that the, the world is getting noisier and noisier. It's absolutely true. So I'd read that and I was thinking, I want to do something that's about making the world sound better. So I founded the sound agency. And the thesis was, most sound is made by organisations and most of it's not particularly pleasant because they're not thinking about it. You know, it's not designed. It's, it's the exhaust gas of what's going on in the world. So it's just noise, a lot of it. And they spend huge amounts of money on visual branding and almost nothing answering the question, how do we sound? They don't design that. Well, they didn't back then. And that's changed a great deal now. You know, 17 years later, the sound agency is still going strong. And we have helped a lot of organizations. And it's become, you know, de rigueur. If not de rigueur, it's become normal to think about your brand In all the dimensions in all the the senses because we experience the world in five senses not one and sound is very powerful and that's when i really got you know deep diving into this stuff when i did the research at the beginning of the sound agency uh, the question was you know these organizations are making all this noise not designing sound does it matter does it have any effect and on researching it i assembled a model with four effects of sound and i've had no reason to change it in all these 17 years, really, I still believe those are the four powerful ways in which sound affects us. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, kind of how did I get into this, but uh, that's that's the way it happened.
0: I see. And then when, when you're talking about the four ways in which uh, we make sound, you know, and also when I think about sort of, when you talk about the sound in the workplace, you know, are, are we referring to, you know, like the music that people play at times in certain service environments or in certain offices or what what are these sounds that uh, you feel have such a tremendous impact on productivity and well-being and and what are those four attributes
1: yeah the outcomes are three things i think now the outcomes are your happiness your effectiveness and your well-being profoundly affected by your relationship with sound unfortunately most of the time for most people unconscious relationship with sound you know we hear we listen automatically. Most people don't realise that listening is actually a skill that you can develop, same as speaking. So we have this kind of unconscious relationship, and uh, it has a huge effect on us in all sorts of spaces, largely indoors. I mean, did you? I don't know if anybody watching this would like to guess the amount of our lives that we spend indoor as a percentage, as opposed to outdoor. Well, it's ninety-three percent indoors on average, in the Western world. 6% of that is in the car. The other 87% is in buildings. So we spend the vast amount of our time inside buildings which are designed by architects who really don't think about how they sound. So a huge number of these environments are simply not fit for purpose. They don't do a very good job. Uh, They are noisy. They reflect noise back into the room. You know, you can think of restaurants, noise in hospitals, 12 times the recommended maximum. Noise in offices, the number one complaint and has been for a very, very long time, especially as we open plan the entire world, it's getting worse and worse. Uh, Noise in schools where many, many people simply can't hear their education, which is a tragedy, if you ask me. Uh, Noise everywhere, noise in our homes, You know, there's 8 million people in Europe who are having their sleep disrupted night after night by traffic noise that's way above the World Health Organization recommended maximum. So all around us, uh, this noise exists because we have designed an environment without thinking about it at all. And yet, you know, there are these four powerful ways in which sound affects you me and every person listening to this every person on the planet and we need to be paying attention to that
0: and what are those for oh the, well, first... the, the well-being
1: the happiness the oh, those are the outcomes yeah those are the yeah. outcomes uh, the mechanisms are first of all physiologically so sound changes your heart rate your breathing the, your hormone secretions even your brain waves so a sudden noise if i go Hah! like that everybody would suddenly have got a little shot of cortisol. That's your fight-flight hormone. Any sudden sound will do that. It's genetic, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. It's why there isn't a, a vertebrate on the planet with no ears, plenty with no eyes. Hearing is your primary warning sense. You can hear behind you and you can't see behind you. So all animals listen carefully for danger, for opportunity, you know, to to be connected to their environment. You You can't see everything, but you're hearing all the time. And equally, if you imagine gentle surf waves on a beach, very similar to the breathing of a sleeping human. That will slow your heart rate down and relax you. Very good sound if you want to sleep, by the way. If anybody listening to this has uh, problems sleeping, insomnia, put on gentle surf, and it's a really good one for lulling you off to sleep. So that's physiologically. Sound changes are blood chemistry profoundly, our brain chemistry, and our whole physiology. If I drop you in a nightclub with pounding dance music at 140 beats per minute, your heart rate will go up. If I play you fast music in a shopping mall, you'll walk faster. And incidentally, shops and restaurants playing you fast music are shooting themselves in the foot because you leave faster as well, and you spend less money. Unless, of course, it's very appropriate for that particular shop, in which case you might like it and stay longer. These things are never simple. So that's physiologically. Secondly we have psychologically our moods, our feelings. You only have to think about music to realize how true that is. Whatever your favorite kind of music is, uh, whether it's, you know, bebop jazz or a pop song or uh, a raga, whatever it might be, it will have an emotional effect on you. Music has huge emotional impact on us. It's not the only sound that does though. Birdsong has been researched now many times over to uh, and, and proven to be reassuring because we know, again, after a very long evolution, the birds have been here much longer than we have, millions of years, not hundreds of thousands. We know that when the birds are happily singing around us, normally things are okay. There's that association. Also, when the birds are singing, it's time to be awake. You know, anybody who's been to an all-night party knows that awful moment when the birds start singing outside and you think, I shouldn't be here. (laughs) So nature's alarm clock, mind alert, body relaxed, a very, very good sound to work to and one which we deploy quite often in these biophilic soundscapes. So that's the second way. The third way is cognitive. How well you think is affected by the sound around you. Now, the most distracting sounds of all are the human voice and alarms. Those really are extremely distracting. So a ringing phone will distract you. A sudden or intermittent sound, anything that's not uniform, you can habituate to a hum. But if there's a door that bangs every minute or two near you, it drives you completely bonkers, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you end up wanting to kill the next person who comes through that darn door, which keeps banging. So unpredictable uh, sound, sound that's not constant, is distracting. The human voice, most of all, though, we're programmed to decode language. Uh, Even if you can't understand the language, the voice itself is distracting. But obviously, if it's speaking a language you can decode, then your brain will do that. And we have limited audio bandwidth. I've calculated roughly 1.6 human voices. So there are very few people who can understand two people talking at the same time. Which means if you want to listen to the little voice in your head that you need to listen to when you're writing or doing figure work, any kind of solo working like that, and there's somebody behind you talking about their great night out, they're taking up one of your 1.6. That reduces your ability to think. And we're all familiar with this. Will you shut up? I'm trying to work here. You know that feeling. Your productivity can be reduced by two thirds in that kind of scenario. And that's why open plan offices are so devastating for people who want to concentrate, which is a very important part of working. Uh, You know, they might work well for collaboration, although the jury's out on that, actually. There's recent research showing that people in open plan offices are more likely to email each other than speak because we don't like being overheard. There's a kind of privacy or privacy issue there as well. So. That's cognitive. It's, it's, it's incredibly damaging. And by the way, I mean, it, it's, it's nice to take a little detour here. Music, of course, is a beautiful sound. I mean, I'm a musician. I love music, but I can't work to it. Now, that, this is a personal thing and everybody's different. There may be people out there who can work to loud death metal. I certainly couldn't, but you know, it is down to how you feel. Most of the time, what's true to say is that music, unless it's very repetitive or very slow, something like trance music or ambient music, something really that doesn't move much and takes no attention, then music is distracting. And the more intense it is, the more vocal, the more changes, the more events there are the more distracting it is you may enjoy working more with music on you may work for longer you may work at all with music on as opposed to not so it might be more productive in the long run that way but you're not more productive per minute you're being distracted because the the job of music is to be listened to most music is made with that intention and sound intention in sound is very very important So we're at the last one, the last of the four, uh, which is behavioral, change in our behavior.
0: You're just an incredible teacher. My heavens, you know, you've (laughs) got me, you know, in a spell right here. So please go on. Yeah, thank you. Okay.
1: Sorry, I don't mean to, to waffle on for hours, but I'm very passionate about this. So, uh, yeah, the last one is, is our behavior, uh, which changes according to the sound around us. You know, some sounds are pleasant and we tend to gravitate to them. Other sounds are unpleasant and we'll move away from them if we can. And if we can't, uh, then stress is the result. And again, that's back to the physiological where we get cortisol noradrenaline stress hormones in noisy or unpleasant sounds so the research shows that for example our driving style is affected by the music we're playing in the car aggressive fast-paced music causes people to drive closer to the current front overtake more often drive faster so all sorts of impacts on our behavior and plenty of research now, particularly focusing on music and its impact on people in commercial settings. I'll give you one example of that, which is the one I really love. Uh, It was a test done by some academics in a supermarket and they had two gondola ends, two identical displays of wine. One was German wine, one was French wine, nothing between them visually at all. And all they did was to alternate the music. So on day one, German music, on day two, French music, keep going like that for weeks and weeks and weeks. What happened? Well, on average, on the French music days, French wine outsold German wine by five bottles to one, which may not be surprising. It sells more in the world on average. But on the German music days, on average, German wine outsold French wine by two bottles to one. Now, that is a massive change in behavior. And when interviewed, the people who had been subject to to this did not have any recollection of the music. They hadn't even noticed it. So this isn't, ah, German music, therefore I should buy German wine. It's not conscious, it's not logical. This is simply an unconscious behavioural response to a sound condition. Now, if anybody listening to this or watching this is running a business, you need to be thinking about what sound you're making and the effect it's having on people's behavior because it is profound
0: wow that was yeah again quite a quite a tutorial and very illuminating one of the things i'm covering here is um you know the importance of uh, living consciously right and what you're doing is opening ourselves to the perception and awareness of the role that subconsciously if not consciously sound plays in our lives uh both yeah. in business and in society and in our homes in a way that many of us may not have been as consciously aware of and once we are aware of it then we can choose to do some things about it right as opposed exactly. to just you know, stay in that you know state of autopilot and and you you distill it down to these four effects physiological emotional cognitive and then and then behavioral right so that's yes. that's, that's that's powerful it reminds me of this moment I, I know i'm taking us far away from the world of big cities and business you know uh, but um sometime back my wife my daughter and i we, we we traveled to Botswana for you know something we'd been drawn to for a long time but never really had the opportunity to do which is which is a safari and i tell you that while the core kind of purpose for us there was to enjoy you know the wildlife because we were so drawn to these evocative pictures of these african safaris with these grand big animals and you know we we were all animal lovers in the family and that was beautiful that was amazing that was unforgettable in botswana I think like the greatest spiritual experience I had there was in experiencing a state of just unspoiled nakedness of nature, you know, with no layer of human interventions there. And a key part of that was those sounds of silence, those sounds of nature, right? In a place like that, where I got so incredibly stirred from within, you know, by that, that it became like this conversation that was silently and quietly happening between the universe, nature and myself, you know, and there was a moment, I remember, when we were going to go on this second round of the safari in the afternoon after having done one early in the morning, come back for, an, you know, kind of like a late morning snack, and then we were going to go again. And I told my wife and daughter that I'm, you go, you know, you go and I, I know you get a lot of joy. I, I just want to stay here. I just because I just wanted to be just by myself I just wanted to be in the silence in the lap of nature and those sounds like you said of those birds chirping and a little bit of the fluttering of the leaves you know in the wind those were the only sounds I was hearing there was no human voice there was no metro kind of New York like sirens and everything and it was yeah like I said like one of the most beautiful experiences I had
1: yeah I have a, a very good friend called Bernie Krause he's the world's leading nature sound recordist, former famous musician going way back to the 60s. And Bernie has been recording nature sound all over the world for decades. And sadly, he records how difficult it is now to get five minutes of nature sound recording without human sound in there. He actually divides, and this is quite an interesting way of categorizing sound, he divides sound into three classes. There's geophony, the sound of the planet. So that's earthquakes, thunderstorms, Volcanic eruptions, sea, you know, those kind of sounds, water, largely. Then you have biophony, which is the sound of animals, and he calls it the great animal orchestra, where everything has a place, everything knows its frequency level, its frequency of singing or chirping or whatever it may be. And indeed, he wrote a book to that effect. And a composer called Richard Blackford created a (coughs) symphony called The Great Animal Orchestra, uh, which uses Bernie's sound recordings and a real orchestra. It's a wonderful piece. Do have a listen, anybody listening to this. And then the third class of sound, of course, Anthropophony, us. Most of it not very nice. The sound of engines, lots and lots of tire noise these days. Aeroplanes, transport is, is very noisy generally. And there's only a tiny proportion of the world's surface now, which is not overflown. So you can be in the middle of Greenland, miles from the nearest person, and every two or three minutes, a jet will go over the top. So it's very difficult to get what you had there, which is real perfect silence for extended periods where you're. Well, not silence, but just biophony and geophony. Uh, that's a rare event these days. A wonderful thing.
0: I think you're really getting me stirred to encourage, you know, our audience here to really uh, engage in this form of nature therapy. If, if you are someone like like me, living in a very um, inhabited, you know, zone <laughs> like, like like a big city, to to really make time and space for enjoying just the sounds of nature, the geophony. Mm. And- you know, as you're calling them, so beautiful. Well, so thank you. Well, that's,
1: yeah. I mean, and that's exactly what Mood Sonic is, is doing, actually. It's what we've launched. The, it, you know, it occurred to us, we've been working in retail sound for years and years and years, sound in spaces using innovative techniques like generative soundscapes, which are made by a computer and live in real time. It's not a recording. It's based on algorithms. And so like birds in the forest don't all sing at once, then fall silent. There's a probability distribution. There's a random stochastic distribution of the sound and that's what we can emulate with our with our system and then we thought that actually the place where this is needed more than anywhere else is the workspace because of this open planning of the world and because noise is such a serious problem everywhere and people are putting in sound masking systems or noise masking systems which are not very nice you know it's filtered brown noise filtered pink noise it, it just sounds like coming from lots of loudspeakers above you. And although it does a job, it will stop you from hearing conversations 10 meters away or whatever it may be. It has an effect and the research is starting to show now it has an effect, it it stresses people and it's not surprising because it's not a very nice sound. Well, instead of that, we're deploying beautiful nature sound, biophilic sound, we call it. Uh, So it's wind, water, birds and other things. which are, you know, there's just an infinite variety to choose from. We've got installations in Australia using a tour around a beautiful island there called Rocknest Island with all the sounds of the local fauna, birds and so forth. And it's wonderful to give people, you know, the option to move from this forest to this beach and, and so forth. And it is proven to make people feel better. We've got 90% plus success and approval ratings in these installations. So people feel healthier and people feel more productive and they can concentrate better because we also mask unwanted conversation. So I am so excited about the future of, you know, that's going to change the lives I think of millions of people who are blighted by this, you know, constant noise. I can't think. I can't work. I'm stressed. You we know, we're aiming to change that. And it's all with nature sound. As you say, it's it's manner from heaven. It's it's the kind of stuff that our souls cry out for and i've been so so many times i've been in new york for example you look up at a to walk don't walk sign in new york city and there's a little bird sitting on top of it singing its heart out you can't hear it it can't hear itself its mate or neighbors can't hear it you know whether it's doing territory or looking for a mate no chance as the traffic noise is so loud it breaks my heart so that's what we're trying to change. Excellent. I'm
0: so happy that you put together a proposition like this. And, um, you know, I would want to keep that in mind when I'm in a position to help, um, you know, have dialogues like this with some of our, our business clients, because uh, I think it could add a really great dimension to what we otherwise focus on in my work at, um, you know, at Mentora, you know, at our institute around corporate culture and leadership, you know, to bring this dimension in. And, you know, what's really fascinating in what the arc of the journey that you've shared in your own career and in life is that. You know, you started with this like interest in music and then you've come to this place where you're getting so inspired by nature's music, nature's symphonies. You know, Mm. and it's beautiful because one of the things that I've been stirred, you know, this year in particular is to recognize that, you know, maybe a lot of the answers we're looking for, a lot of the pathways towards, you know, if you want to call it happiness, joy, enlightenment, fulfillment, we're looking for lie in the utter simplicity of reconnecting with nature. You know, in, mm-hmm. in some ways, and simplifying, you know, many of the kind of like aspects of our life and eliminating mm-hmm. some of these accoutrements of like modern civilization, et cetera, to get to the core, to get to oh, the yeah. organic core, And that's kind of what you seem like to me to be bringing into the workplace at Moodsonic.
1: I hope so, yes. I mean, it's ironic because in many ways, technology is uh, the enemy of listening. You know, nobody in the world can stop technology. We can't set it back. There's nobody who can say, well, let's just pause for five years and think about this. It's not going to happen. So we have this stuff coming at us all the time and we get into this way of being, which is FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. It's always having to have several things going. at the I haven't got time for this. How many people listening to this? Actually, have in the last 24 hours truly listened to another human being. That is to say, put everything down, look at that person, and give them 100% undivided attention while they're speaking to you. It's rare. You know, it's a rare gift now to give that to somebody because nine times out of 10, we're sort of texting away. Yeah, no, I am listening to you or typing or emailing or having two conversations at the same time or watching something on a screen as we're listening, doing something else. Listening gets marginalized. And that is a great shame because, as you said uh, and it, it is absolutely true that this is at the core of being truly conscious. And the whole world that we've designed, this world of faster and faster and faster and more and more inputs and a sort of numbing, unfortunately, it makes us addicted to intensity, to speed and pace, to constant change. Being still and being fully present are becoming extremely difficult things to achieve in the modern world. And listening is a practice which can you bring you back there just listening to another human being. You know, there's the awful paradigm of a whole family sitting around a a dinner table everybody on a device, not talking to each other at all. Uh, or the other things that we do, you know, do it lying in bed, doing email rather than being with your loved one. You know, these kind of things, they're becoming, they, they creep up on us insidiously and they make us less and less present. There are huge organizations clamoring for our attention. It's the currency they want. You know, they want social media. They all want attention. They want you there all the time, not listening to somebody in the real world. So I think it's important to become conscious of these forces and the fact that we don't actually listen very well hearing is a capability we can all do that listening is a skill and it's a skill that we can practice become good at as long as we realize it's a skill and as you absolutely rightly said uh, some time ago in this conversation if you're conscious of something you have the opportunity to change it but if you're unconscious of it it's just going to carry on that's really my my whole clarion call is for the whole world to get conscious about listening because so much would follow naturally out of that design, the environments we live in, the way we treat each other, understanding apart from anything else because conscious listening always creates understanding and we have never needed that more than we do now in the world.
0: So true and um, I want to propose that we then uh, shift our conversation in just about two more minutes of uh, focus on sound Let's shift it into listening and take our uh, ourselves and our audiences there because I'd like, love to deep dive into some of these very profound ideas that you're offering around listening. Just before we do that, there was a question here from Laura, which um, I want to kind of like just kind of broaden the frame of. Laura, I know you're interested in thinking about in the context of your role as an executive coach, and she's talking about the environment that she creates, the sound aspect of the environment when she's engaged in zoom, let's say coaching conversations or interactions with clients and others. And I think we could just kind of expand that to any or all of us today that are in this kind of, you know, video based environment, right from our homes, what I mean, would you recommend that the same kind of thing that mood sonic is doing with like business clients to create these kinds of, you know, geophonic and biophonic kind of experiences to up the well being and happiness and productivity, that that would be a recommendation for us in our homes as well, especially if you're not in just a natural environment but we're in kind of like more of an urban environment that we actually not have background like music playing as much as again the sounds and symphonies of nature
1: well i think it's hard to be prescriptive here so you have to be very aware this is personal and people do differ a great deal So I'm not going to sit here and say to everybody, the right sound for X is Y, because it's down to you as an individual. Where it gets more complicated is when you have large groups of people in one place, because there you have to go to sounds which are much more generally acceptable. And that's where we come to biophilic sound. Now, it may well be for you, I'm talking to you, it may well be that some birdsong would really help you at work in home. You know, working from home, we have the complete ability to design the sound around us you can have silence some people don't like silence i love it some people hate it uh, you could have birdsong playing, you could have waves, you could have rainfall and thunder in the distance. Some people love that. Or you could have music if that works for you. You have to play with things and experiment and see what fits your your particular, you know, listening profile, your spirit. I mean, what you enjoy, what makes you happy, what makes you work better. So I wouldn't make any general rules. What I would say as an absolute rule is please be conscious about it and experiment with it to try and find the right sound. There's a great exercise you can do in your home, uh, for example, I, I call it savoring, which is to walk into every room in your home and close your eyes and listen and say, okay, is this the best sound I could have for the activity I want to do in this room? If it's sleeping, for example, that buzzing thing, that's, I've, I've that's been there for years and I've never noticed it before. Close your eyes, remove the visual impact and you can listen far more acutely I'm the person who goes in American hotels when I used to travel. I'm the person who goes out into the corridor and unplugs the ice machine, which is going all the time. (laughs) I can't sleep with that going on. So, uh, you know, I've, I do things like that, I'm afraid. And I, I complain about air conditioning and vibration and things like that. I'm always listening in a room. And, you know, even if you aren't listening and you don't notice these things, it might be you, you might say, oh, he's listening too much. I, you're just not conscious of it. It has an impact on you. So my plea is to become conscious of that impact. And then you can start to take responsibility for the sound you're consuming. You can change the context around you. And that's really important. Um, You know, I mean, the fundamental model underpinning all of my work on communication skills is that speaking and listening are in a circular relationship. The way I speak affects the way you listen. The way you listen affects the way I speak. The way I speak affects the way you speak. The way you listen affects the way I listen and so on and so on. It's dynamic, organic. It's circular all the time. Most people think it's a straight line. I speak, you listen. It's not as simple as that. And the circle is going on all the time inside of a context and these days this context that we're in right now is a very familiar one it's becoming the norm you know once upon a time we would have been face to face having a chat now uh, not so much and so we have to get good at these tools we have to start understanding how to do this how to relate to somebody when you're not physically with them i don't think the world is ever going to go back quite to where it was we've we've made a sea change this is a, a permanent thing um and it's you know it's saving vast amounts of carbon and money and time which is great uh, on the other hand we lose some stuff too so let's take on that challenge
0: and in particular you know you have encouraged us to step up our game on this uh, quality of listening that we are you know bringing to our interactions with people and uh, we're also talking about what a distracted world we're living in. Uh, I think any or all of us um, can probably acknowledge, you know, when we look in the mirror to a moment where we have, um, you know, been politely, like you said, nodding ahead, you know, on something, but we're actually texting or we're actually surfing the web or doing something else when, when just because we think we can get away with it and we don't think yeah. the other party. Needs all our attention and we are smart enough to be following what it is that they are saying without oh. needing to give it all our attention. And anyway, you know, we have spoiled ourselves with this kind of a multitasking kind of mind frame. Mm. Uh, so especially in, in these environments uh, where the invitation to be distracted is just one click away. And there are all these, you know, alerts that are coming up all the time anyway. And there's this drug of dopamine that we're living on where we are constantly looking for the next thing, the new thing, you know, what's Mm -hmm. breaking the news, which next two emails have I gotten and et cetera. Are there any practices that you might suggest to us to make us more effective listeners in general? but also more effective at listening when we are engaging through these, um, you know, technology-based platforms.
1: Yes. Well, a couple of things just before we get into how to become a better listener overall, um, I would recommend to everybody, first of all, turning off alerts wherever you can, if they're not really crucial to you, you know, all apps, they will say, uh, allow notifications and that's death you know if you have something popping up every few seconds telling you that there's a news flash of something not really having happened which is not really very interesting but you've got to go and check it out you know notifications are death to conscious presence I think. Turn as many off as you can. Secondly, if you're an email user, which almost everybody is these days, batch the email up. Do it a couple of times a day. Not, Never have the email alert sound on because that'll ping every minute or two and you'll have to go off and your life will be run by email. I mean, I think there are millions of people, <laughs> unfortunately, in, in the world whose job description actually is two words answer email because that's what we do all day quite often if, if we let that thing take over and control us so my recommendation with email is don't look at it twice a day go and do it for a half an hour or an hour depending on what you need to process it that's enough and then you get the rest of the time the rest of your life back away from it so that's a, a couple of thoughts on technology uh, try spending a bit of time away from your phone I mean, it is really difficult these days. You kind of feel like somebody's just cut your leg off when you leave your phone behind and you go out. My God, somebody might be calling me. Somebody might be texting me. I might miss something. Well, you know, I grew up in a world where mobile phones didn't exist and people sent letters to each other. And uh, it was a much slower pace of life. And, you know, the world turned. Everything got done. It's amazing, really. (laughs) So I think it's important to, to control technology. There's, a, there's a, a really good book by Nir Ayal, is it? Near Ayal, I think his name is, called Indistractability. Highly recommended. Very good. It's about not letting the world distract you and being more present. So that's something about technology. About listening, well, I, in my TED Talk, I recommended five different practices, very simple things which can help to improve your conscious listening. I've mentioned one of them already, which is savouring, savouring sound. Closing your eyes, becoming more conscious of the sound around you. Um, There's another similar exercise called the mixer where in a multi uh, sonoral environment, uh, like a cafe, for example, if we ever go back into these places or uh, or an office, you can start to unpick how many individual sounds am I listening to as opposed to it's just a mush. That's a really good way of becoming more sensitive to the sound around you. Then there's a very important exercise, I think, which is something that people have told me has been really helpful to them. Rasa, which I believe is the Sanskrit word for juice, R-A-S-A. And in this context, it's a little acronym. It stands for receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. So repeat, receive means actually paying attention. That means looking at the person who's speaking, as opposed to doing something else at the same time or Speech writing, I call it, you know, writing my next brilliant bit of monologue while you're babbling away in front of me and I'm not paying attention, which tends to give rise to the sort of anyway uh, interjection, which is just dismissive and rude and tends to up- upset people. So uh, pay attention. That is your body facing the person your eyes looking at the person and not your feet pointing out of the door you know there are subtle signs for let me out of here so you just pay attention to the whole thing leaning forward slightly shows attention leaning back tends to show that I'm not very engaged it's an interesting thing to reflect on actually with this technology that when we're in a conversation like this it's much ruder I think with video conferencing to be doing something else If we were face to face, then you'd be more tolerant because I'm there and you can always whack me over the head if you want to. But if I start uh, looking around or picking up a piece of paper or something, you know, you say, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, no, I am listening to you. There's a wider range of tolerance there. Whereas, you know, if you're speaking to me online and I'm just sitting here like this, it's pretty clear that I'm not paying attention and that would be considered rude. So uh, I think there is a higher degree of attentiveness one-to-one, not so much if you've got 50 people's faces on the screen in front of you, because you really can't see very much about all of them. So R is pay attention. A is appreciate. That's the little noises that we make or uh, gestures that we make to show we're still there. Bobs of the head, raises of the eyebrows, smiles, nods. Hmm. oh, really? Wow, okay. That kind of stuff, which just makes conversation flow. The S is summarise, the word so, which is hugely abused now. It means it, it's a synonym for therefore. It's a, there's a logical flow, uh, whereas a huge number of people now start every sentence with the word so, for an unknown reason. I've even seen TED Talks where the person walks on stage and goes, so what? <laughs> what was coming before that? You know, what's your name? So I'm Fred. You're Fred just because I called you Fred? because i asked you what your name was that's that's a that's the logical flow so it's a word that i think needs to be reclaimed because it's very very powerful you can summarize in a conversation so what i just heard you say is dot 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 it's reflective listening or so what we've agreed if i'm right is this everybody yes now we can move on to that you know if you don't have a so person in a meeting it can be a very very Long meeting, going round and round. What is it they say about meetings? Places where you take minutes and waste hours. And they can be like that without a so person. And then the A is ask, the last A. Ask questions, open-ended questions. You know, why, what, when, which, where, who. Those kind of questions which do not permit the answer yes or no, which engage or just seeking more, you know, tell me more about that. It's fascinating. Tell me more. That's a great way to engage people. For anybody who feels they don't get good at conversation, where they struggle to be engaged, showing that interest in somebody. If you really listen to somebody, you draw them out, they are much more likely to listen to you and you're much more likely to understand them and therefore to be able to speak appropriately and powerfully to them. So that's rasa. That's a really good exercise for conscious listening in conversation. Which is one of the most important places to be listening.
0: Wow, that was again uh, just uh, a beautiful tutorial, Rasa Rasa. Before we move on, let me invite you, if you could, to just like provide a couple of more recounts on the references that you've been giving us. Uh, over the course of our conversation, just uh, for the benefit of our listeners who may want to be mm-hmm. drawn to investing in some of these resources. So there was a book you mentioned uh, earlier on that uh, you know w- was being asked about. Um, Do you remember th- th- that was the one that you were talking about? Um, yes, you know, I
1: mentioned the um, soundscape, the tuning of the world by Murray the Schaefer. The tuning of the
0: world soundscape,
1: okay. Mm-hmm. Right. A tremendous book. Murray Schaefer, S-C-H-A-F-E-R.
0: Okay. So I think Catherine you'd ask about uh, you'd propose uh, the name for that book I think in response to one of the questions and you were right on. And then Julian uh, which would be like one of your writings one of your books in case somebody wanted to read up more on some of these precepts that you've just uh, you know offered up to us.
1: Well, if it's about communication, then How to Be Heard is the book that focuses on speaking and listening skills and our personal relationship to sound. If it's about using sound in every aspect or any aspect, actually, of business, uh, then my first book is Sound Business, which is all about that. And it's not technical. It's designed for business managers who are curious about sound, but it goes a lot deeper into what sound actually is and some of the, uh, the ways you describe it and measure it and so forth, as well as lots of ways. You can use sound in business to your advantage. I see. And then what about this online course? Well, I traveled the world after the the TED Talks. I started in 2009. I did five in a row at TED, which is amazing. And the last one went completely ballistic. So as you said at the beginning, I think together they've been seen by more than 100 million people. And because I was zooming in on personal relationship with sound, the third one was about listening. The fifth one was about speaking. And I have to say... (laughs) Looking back on it, I think it was very brave because, you know, if you're going to stand on the TED stage and speak about powerful speaking, you you better be speaking powerfully, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of leading with my chin, definitely putting my head above the parapet, but it went really well and I'd done for. So I think I was, you know, getting quite good at doing it by then and uh, then I got requests so I started a a sort of parallel life to my life with the sound agency which I still run uh, but I had another life which was traveling around the world speaking to organizations and at conferences about the importance of listening the skill of listening and how to speak powerfully And so I was on planes, a huge amount. Two years ago, I had a deep vein thrombosis in my left leg, which travelled up the leg and became a pulmonary embolism, which is a very dangerous thing to have. Not nice either. It's a blood clot in the lung. So the clot actually passed through my heart, which is how people die of this. And then, uh, you know, I was ill for some time. And understandably, that made me rather less cheerful about the prospect of getting on aeroplanes every five minutes. And then COVID happened as well, which has really knocked it on the head. So in a way, I'm grateful for the PE because that was two years ago. And as a result of that, I spent a lot of last year putting together the video course, uh, which was a way of getting the work out to as many people as possible, really, in the world without having to be on aeroplanes all the time. I love Orkney. I love living here. And I'm quite keen to stay here now. So I put the course together with my wonderful fiancée, Jane, who is a four-time world champion martial artist and contributed a brilliant chapter on uh, being fit to speak and, and on wellness breathing uh, you know stretching and all those really important things which uh, I've learned so much about now and we created this seven and a half hour course so that's that's where it is it's you know on my website julientreasure.com and uh, i invite i do invite people to take a look at it it's uh, it's everything I know really about speaking and listening skills and how i think there are 43 downloadable exercises 67 videos something like that so it's it's pretty comprehensive i have to say well thank you i'm so glad that we're getting a chance to
0: uh, know where to go to get more access because i know we are scratching the surface and and you've given us some very valuable tips right here and awoken us to approaching you know listening and tuning into sounds with a lot more awareness than we may have had before And, and yet there's so much more to study in this topic i'll share a story with you a few years ago i was uh, in a certain community space and i heard the voice of someone in the background about you know 20 yards from me and instantly i knew who who it was and you know that may not surprise us you know when we hear the sound of someone we know we we probably do recognize who it is from and that by the way itself just fascinates me that that one can so quickly just through the ears you know identify one of the seven billion people on the planet but here's the other interesting part of the story this was an individual I had not seen or spoken to for 25 years. And here it was that I instantly recognized that sound. Mm -hmm. And of course, when I turned around, it was them. And we greeted each other. We had a warm, you know, reconnect. And I was thinking, it's funny, like, you know, age uh, can play, you know, certain tricks on, you know, how we look, (laughs) you know, and the person had, you know, aged in a certain way, right, with regard to wrinkles and the body, you know, going through its motions of, of change. but. Fascinating how the voice was such an, like a thumbprint, like immediate signal. So, um, can you talk um, for a moment about in your study of sounds and of listening? The human voice has to be one of the most amazing and magical makers of sound right and um, what have you learned and what insight you have both in terms of how we process and receive that sound from others and also in how we project and communicate our own sound you know through our own voice because the sense I got from that moment and just my own introspections on this is and I'm posing this as a thesis or a question to you is that, you know, they say like the eyes are the windows into the soul. You know, is it possible that even one's voice in some ways is an expression of like our inner spirit in some ways?
1: Totally, totally. I mean, if you look at all of the, uh, the words for breath, prana, chi, uh, I mean, these words also mean life in most languages. So breath and life are very closely associated. And your voice is just breath. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your breath externalized. It's the sound of you. Only you can make the sound of your voice. So it is unique. I mean, there'll be people with similar voices, but we are very, very sensitive to timbre. It's how we tell the difference between a flute and a trumpet playing the same note. You know, sound is complex. It has harmonics and that's a whole different board game to get into. So harmonics are very important and your voice is unique. And that's why we can use voice print technology to identify people and nobody else has quite got the harmonics that you have and so it is amazing that you remembered those harmonics 25 years on uh, but you know we do remember sound sound like scent goes very deep very fast it goes to the uh, very oldest part of the brain immediately and then it can reawaken You know, synaptic circuits that perhaps haven't been active for a long time. You know, the sound, if somebody played you a recording of your grandmother's voice, for example, or, you know, a ticking clock from a house you used to live in or something. These things can really bring back experiences to us. So it's a a very emotional, uh, connected sound like that. Also, I'd like to say your listening is unique. So yes, the voice is the instrument we all play, and most people don't learn how to play it at all. So, you know, we're surrounded by people thumping away on pianos, having had not a single lesson in a very unmusical way, unfortunately. And I do urge anybody for whom their voice is an important part of their life, go get some professional coaching, really. You know, if you sell, if you want to persuade people, lead people, speak to large numbers of people, or even just be powerful in your family, your voice is the biggest tool you've got. Go and get some coaching. Work with a drama coach, a singing coach, you know, whatever it might be, find somebody local and work with them and, you know, liberate your voice and get the most out of it. You deserve it. But your listening is also unique because you listen through a set of filters and those filters are your life. You know, it's the values, attitudes, beliefs that you've accreted, your intentions and expectations right now, your emotions right now, all sorts of the language you learn to speak or the languages you speak, they all fashion the way you listen. And that's unique. So we've got two unique things going on. I'm speaking with a unique voice. You're listening with a unique listening. This will never happen again because the listening also changes over time. So it's very important to be very present to all of that. The biggest mistake I see people make is thinking everybody listens like I do. They don't. And that is a really, really powerful and transformative revelation. When you get that, you can start to say, ah, what listening am I speaking into right now? You know, where does this person come from? Let me find out more about it. It tends to stimulate curiosity, which is a very big part of effective listening. And it allows you to speak in a way which is going to hit the bullseye, not miss the target altogether. And that many, many people do a great deal of the time by thinking everybody's just like, I do. I'm going to speak in the way I would like to receive it. And that doesn't always work.
0: You're reminding me of a moment I had where I was talking to a cab driver and we had a little bit of an exchange, which was a little bit feisty. And in a good spirited way, I said, my friend, you know, you're like a bulldog in that moment. And... Um, you know, I was using that expression in the way that I've seen it used, you know, at times uh, here in America, where it's meant to be an expression of somebody who's got a little ho, can do, pushy, you know. <laughs> like in sales yeah. like let's go and get that sale kind of energy he heard the word dog and from yeah. the culture that he was coming from that is like a huge insult and yeah. so he got really riled up in that moment because of that that word and i, I had to really help calm you know both of us down to a place So i said listen that was not my intention I, I you know this is the way i meant it you know etc and so yeah. i love this um you know, the, this final thought that you're leaving with us, such a profound, simple, practical, and important uh, realization to have, which, you know, I've never really thought of it this way, which is that we don't just have a unique way in which we talk or, you know, in our voice, we also have a unique way in which we listen. Yeah, uh, I absolutely. think that, that is such a powerful idea, just to understand, like I said, which, what do you say, which listening am I speaking into? What's, right? the, listening, is What's the, the listening? What's the listening? Yeah. yeah. So, so powerful. So beautiful. You've said something which um, I want to replay for people here just as one sentence that your vision is to create like a world that listens consciously and can express itself beautifully. I think those are just such beautiful words. Would you say that in some ways that that's kind of like your life calling or purpose, you know?
1: Totally. And, you know, when you look around at what's happening in politics right now, never has it been more needed. Uh, Listening creates understanding. If you live in a democracy, listening underpins that because we have to have civilized disagreement. If there's more of you than of me, I may disagree with you, but I live by your rules. Uh, if we get onto this slippery slope of caricature and demonization and depersonalization, you know, the bottom of that slope is, you know, the ISIS way to be, which is if you disagree with me, I'll kill you. And that's not a world I want to live in. I would love to move us back up that and to have everybody listening. And I think it's very important that we resist as much as possible in our personal lives. We, we control or become conscious of the lure of technology, because if we get numbed out and lose consciousness... It is so easy then to get into being right, making people wrong, judging, condemning. You know, it's, a, it's a very tempting way to be as a human being, highly judgmental and very distracted. And let's not go there, guys. Let's become more present, more understanding, more listening. That is a happier world. And that's the one I'm trying to help people to create. So, yes, it is my calling
0: that's beautiful thank you so much uh, julian uh, this has been a tremendous joy and a pleasure you know so many of us are so invested you know in the world i live in the business world in analytical thinking and even verbal you know and and uh, just kind of like logical arguments and ideas and ultimately the visual sense is a one that has been much more i think uh, invested in by the business world and by architects in spaces they've created and all of that and you're bringing us you know To focus on another of those incredible senses that we are gifted with in nature, you know, the sense of listening, the sense of sound. And that Mm -hmm. is so beautiful and so important. You know, thank you so much for the time today and for these gifts that you're leaving us with. So much to not just reflect on, but hopefully act on. And, uh, I agree with you that there is a much critical need just in society to embrace some of these practices. And perhaps it starts by each of us embracing them in our own little worlds, uh, in our own families, in our own circle of friends and colleagues, you know, both at work and then, and then beyond, isn't it? Um, Definitely.
1: I mean, I bet everybody's WFH. So. Listen, after you stop watching this, go and listen to somebody in your family. Put everything down, look at them and listen. And you'll probably say something like, what are you doing? Because they're not used to it. You know, it's a great gift. Try it out. It does work.
0: Yeah, well, I wish you well in your journey in the unfoldment of this purpose, you know. And it is something that I'm certainly very much looking forward to assimilating in my own practices. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to step out and uh, do a good, healthy act of listening to further advance my mind in that area. Thank you so much, Julian. And um, very grateful. Where can people go to get more information about your course and, and, and your books? There was a question from Unrada on, on that. Um, is there a website that uh, we can cite them
1: to? Yes, just juliantreasure.com. Do come by and there's uh, you know, free stuff on there that you can pick up and uh, a lot about speaking skills as well. So juliantreasure.com. Or if you're interested in the biophilic sound, uh, just above me, moodsonic.com. That's also fascinating. So.
0: All right. Well, I know on behalf of all of us here in the audience, I want to join them in thanking you, wishing you happy holidays and Godspeed. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Hiten. All right, my friends, this is not a conversation I feel I need to do any further capstoning on. That was such a beautiful journey and a conclusion that we reached with Julian. So let his voice and his ideas ring very fresh and true in you at the present moment. And so I wish you well as well. I'm not going to say Happy Holidays just yet because we're going to have one more round of intersections in a couple of weeks where we're going to have a dear friend and a colleague, Adam Bryant, the former Corner Office column writer in the New York Times, who has interviewed hundreds and thousands of CEOs and studied their arc in leadership, and we learn a lot about you know from him both about kind of the human journey as well as the leadership journey. So look forward to that in a couple of weeks. Until then, again, Godspeed to you as well. Take care.